This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. This series of Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, is brought to you by Climate Field View. Ready to have all your farm's information right at your fingertips? With the Climate Field View platform, you can instantly analyze every pass you make in field, capture weather conditions, and monitor crop performance. You get all the info you need to confidently make the right decisions for your field, anywhere, anytime. Start collecting information now and take full advantage of the yield analysis tools come harvest time. For more information, visit climatefieldview.ca or talk to your FieldView dealer and sign up for a one-year free trial today. Hello, and welcome to the second episode in our latest Inputs podcast series. I'm Alex Bernard, Associate Editor for Top Crop Manager magazine. This episode is all about insect pests. Pest pressure in the 2020 growing season is quite clearly divided between eastern and western Canada. The hot, dry conditions in Ontario have resulted in an increase of insect pests in variety and populations. On the prairies, the wet conditions haven't allowed many insect pests to flourish, so pressure is lower across the board. There are some new faces to watch out for. Tracy Bowdy is a field crop entomologist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs, commonly known as OMAFRA. She sheds some light on the unusual insects causing problems and the conditions that lead to heavy insect pressure, and discusses Twitter as a way to get information on pest problems out to farmers fast. All resources mentioned will be linked in the show notes. Thank you for speaking with me today. Yeah. I saw how you handled the true armyworm situation on Twitter and it was really cool. Oh, good. Yeah. It's been one of those insect years and we're starting to realize Twitter is a good way to get things out quickly and just even with surveys, right? And try and get more information from especially CCAs, but also growers. So yeah, we try hard, (laughs) but it's been a very, very busy, busy insect year. Yeah. It seems like... I haven't heard nearly as much about disease as I have about all the insects that are right. Yeah, it's starting, but typically a hot, dry year starts insects more than a wet year. So, yep, (laughs) I've had a few back to back to back hot, dry years. It's been interesting. Oh yeah. (laughs) So, how has insect pest pressure been this year? Pretty harsh. (laughs) Yes, it's been a really busy, active, abundant insect year. There's barely any of them that are on my, you know, pest list that haven't shown up somewhere. In fact, some new, I'd say, rare ones that have been more abundant than we've ever seen before. So it's also mainly because we've got some really good crop scouts and growers who notify us as soon as they can, because with COVID, we're all limited on who and where people can be. So that community has really helped in terms of getting a sense of what's going on quickly. I was wondering how that would affect, because I imagine it's not as easy to get scouts out into the field or to have people together to find these things out. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. COVID has definitely made us have to rethink some of the ways that we do things and just be more open to virtual conversations wherever possible and meetings. And then, yeah, just if we do know of an outbreak, try to get a sense of the scope of it. And so that's why we've been using Survey123 and other mechanisms to also capture some of that data because we all can't be everywhere this year. Yeah. You mentioned that some of the more rare 
insects have been propping up. Which ones would you say those are? Yes. Yeah, so, well, armyworm um, tends not to be a massive problem every year. I think our last major one was back around 2012. Oh, wow. um, but this year in particular was an incredible armyworm year. Thankfully, not as many acres had to be sprayed as we thought, because even though they were at threshold, the feeding injury and the crop stage indicated that it really wasn't the right time to spray. So that's good. And as well, Northern Ontario had to deal with a pocket of grasshoppers that I've never seen before. Typically, the threshold for grasshoppers in certain crops is around one to 10 per square meter. And there were probably hundreds, um, maybe closer to thousands per square meter. So yeah, it's, they're raining. (laughs) The insects, it's 2020 is an insect year. (laughs) Now, what would cause that many grasshoppers in such a small area? Yeah, the hot, dry weather. And in fact, that infestation started from last year. So they noticed adults last year and they laid eggs before they were able to control them. And so now we're dealing with that egg hatch. Um, And again, hot, dry weather really does allow them to proliferate. And so hopefully they've been able to manage them before more eggs were laid again this year. But Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a perpetual problem for a few years until that that outbreak is dealt with. That's rough. Mm -hmm. Hopefully the weather's a little less kind to them next year. (laughs) Maybe. Although, you know, what really... I suspect it was going to be an insect year because we also dealt with a pretty mild winter. We did have some snow cover, but to say that we we never really had long periods of extreme cold weather that would normally knock down um, populations. And so there's actually a few that came about or didn't come about. I had predicted that bean leaf beetle would be an issue because they are beetles that overwinter in leaf litter. And so cold winters usually knock them out. Mild winters, they tend to be more of an issue. And that's one that I could say really was not as abundant. But otherwise, we've had anywhere from soil insects all the way now into the hot, dry mites and defoliators that are starting to pop up. Yeah. Are those the next wave that farmers will have to watch for? Yes. I think even though we've had some sporadic rains, I think spider mites are going to get ahead, uh, especially in those areas where the, the crop is stressed and short. I feel that they may go unnoticed and do some damage before anyone goes in and sprays because of the hot, dry weather and the conditions that may proliferate for them, but make us unaware that they're there until the symptoms are there and some yield is already lost. So really scouting is important for that. And then we're moving into defoliators. So anything that feeds and chews on leaves, especially in soybeans, but most abundant right now is rootworm adults, Japanese beetles, and redheaded flea beetle. They've been getting more and more abundant the last four or five years. And those three could actually even clip silks on corn. So we've got to be aware that if corn doesn't continue to get rain to grow silks past that feeding, we may have some fields that have to be sprayed if the silks are clipped at half an inch or smaller. Good to know. Now, are the redheaded flea beetles new to Ontario, new to Canada, or are they just more populous lately? A little bit of both. They weren't really on anyone's radar, even five years ago, maybe six. But now a lot of the jurisdictions, uh, neighboring states and provinces, we're all seeing them. And I'm not sure what's 
cause that. Maybe increased no-till scenarios and conservation. We don't know a lot about that insect to know, you know exactly how many generations and where it overwinters. But yes, they are more abundant, and especially in a corn-soybean landscape, because they like both of those crops, and they seem to be really moving back and forth between the two. Tend to be more of an edge problem in corn, and even in soybeans. The defoliation rarely reaches threshold, but it's just people need to be aware, because again, it's a year where if the crop is stressed and not growing out of the feeding, that's when you may need to act. Yeah, and if there's enough different pests going at it from different angles, it's going to be a collaborative effort. Yes, and that's where I think we need to focus a bit more is when there's a combination of pests and what the threshold might be for that. Because it's always concerning when spider mites are likely present in low numbers regardless. But if we have to go in and spray for another pest and we use an insecticide like pyrethroid that can kill off the natural enemies and cause the mites to flare up, then we're just making a problem worse. So we need to really pay attention to the combination of things happening in a field. Defoliation, again, is likely, it's rare that we have to spray for it. So making that spray decision, you really have to take into consideration the implications that may happen after that and decide if it's worth it. And in particular mites, because if they take over, they are the biggest yield limiting pest in soybeans in particular. Wow. And it's the heat that's helping the insects is also causing a lot of issues for the crops. So Absolutely. And it, that's why I'm also, there's another one, potato leafhopper that I'm concerned about. Oh. They're in pretty high numbers. And even though alfalfa is being cut, the new growth may get hammered. And then also those leafhoppers are moving into the driving crop. And they are another pest that really, they're small. They take a lot of effort to scout, whether using a sweet net or visually looking for them. So really have to pay attention to make sure that they don't do damage before a spray is recommended. Have there been any beneficial insects that have helped out this year? Yeah, beneficials. In particular, we had cereal aphid show up pretty early. Thankfully, for the most part, they didn't have to get sprayed. And because of that, it allowed for the natural enemy population to build up in cereals. So now that we are harvesting cereals, they are moving in. You see ladybugs, you see soldier beetles, you see a lot of different natural enemies moving into the other crops, corn and soybeans in particular. So I'm hoping that they will, in case of corn, be eating thrips as well as western bean cutworm eggs because western bean cutworm has started up this last few weeks. And then in soybeans, soybean aphids, and, and some of them can even feed on some of the mites. So hoping that those natural enemies do take and, and reduce their populations of pests so that spray decisions don't have to be made. It sounds like everyone's at the party this year. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is at the party for sure. And that's where really not jumping the gun too soon and following thresholds is important because we really do want to try and maintain that natural enemy population that can do the biocontrol for you and eliminate the need for an insecticide spray. Excellent. You work for OMAFRA, so I imagine OMAFRA has a few resources for folks. Which ones would we you recommend? Do. Yeah, so I would say in particular, follow Field Crop News, that blog site, which includes the Bounty Bug blog. We try and get really timely information out there, as well, Twitter. If you're on Twitter at all, follow a few of us from Omafra and, and just the community. I usually try and put hashtags like 
Scout 20 or Aunt Egg so that everyone's aware. That's the quickest and easiest way to get pest alerts out. And then, of course, the network. We've got the Great Lakes Maritimes Pest Monitoring Network. Where we've got a dashboard there that shows you all the trap counts for the different pests that we're monitoring. And in particular, Western bean cutworm is the one to start watching for because counts are starting to go up and egg masses are starting to be seen. So we will, this week, I'm planning to put a field crop news article on that so that everyone's aware of what levels we're seeing so far. And of course, any of the OMAFRA publications and even pest manager app, if you do need to make a spray decision, the product information is in, in that app too. Perfect, thank you so much, Tracy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Next up is Tyler Wist, a field crop entomologist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Saskatoon. He talks about the new insects to keep on your radar, how beneficial insects are providing biocontrol, and the resources to use to identify and handle insects in your fields. How has insect pest pressure been so far this 2020 season? Well, this year, at least in Saskatchewan, it's been really wet. And so it really changes the dynamics of our pests. So, I mean, we have dozens and dozens of insects that could be pests in any particular crops, but a lot of them don't do really well in wet weather. So the pest pressure so far, we've had a few insects like uh, grasshoppers. We've had pockets of grasshoppers that have been treated across the prairies. The grasshoppers actually don't do very well in wet weather. They tend to get diseases that wipe them out. And those are really ramped up under the wet weather because fungus likes to thrive with humidity. So we've had a few pockets of Peritrechus convivus, which is kind of a new pest. So that's been in Saskatchewan as well. And the diamondback moth actually came earlier than they typically do. But they're another one that the wet weather will kind of keep their populations down. So if it's hot and dry, and we have diamondback moth show up early, then there's usually more problems. But the wet weather also gets diseases going in their populations. So I'm always looking for aphids out there. And the wet weather has really not been conducive to big aphid populations. So we've got lentils that don't really have aphids going in them, fava beans, peas, and the cereal crops as well. But what wet weather does contribute to is wheat midge. So wheat midge and other midges too. So midges like it wetter. So they don't come out of the ground until you get about 25 millimeters of rain in the spring. Those wheat midge, they came out. And so we have pretty high populations now. And that's one of the insects that the prairie pest monitoring will put out maps for in the fall and the winter. And so those maps show little pockets, but what they show are places where wheat midge were viable and found in the soil. And so uh, trouble with wheat midge is they can just sit around in the soil for 12 or 13 years until conditions are perfect. So <laughs> like a ticking time bomb in the fields. And the survey itself, you know, maybe, maybe they've missed that pocket of wheat midge. Wheat midge like higher humidity too when they're flying. Okay. So, I was actually out last night and it was very humid and the wheat midge were up and flying. And so they're kind of a really weak little insect. And uh, yeah, if the humidity is not right, 
they uh, they just don't work very well. So, but your <laughs> canopy is full of humidity, and that's where they like to hang out. So it's not a big stretch for them to kind of move up and then just start laying eggs on those heads. So we're in the third week of July. So most of the wheat crop is probably past the susceptible point for wheat midge. So when flowering has ended, the wheat midge survival of their offspring goes way down. So that's a good thing. But those secondary tillers that you're getting in the field that are kind of lower down, those ones can still be susceptible to wheat midge. So that's what I saw last night. They were, they were out on those secondary tillers. Okay. Other insect pressure. Um, a lot of things have been down. Things like pea leaf weevils been down. We've got our cabbage seed pod weevil survey on right now, and no real results on on that one yet. But definitely aphid pressure is way down. So that's pretty good. And the factors that contributed to that, just the wet weather, pretty much. Okay. We did have some aster leafhoppers and they showed up around the same time that the diamondback moth did. So what we're looking at in one of my projects is those migratory patterns of diamondback moth and aster leafhoppers and they've kind of been showing up on the same winds so they're conceivably coming from the same areas and when leafhoppers when the aster leafhopper shows up in western Canada early that's typically when we get some aster yellows happening in the crops so we might be walking into a situation where we're going to start seeing aster yellows in crops like, well, like canola, definitely. But a lot of the other oil seeds are also highly susceptible. And some other crops, too, can even get aster yellows. Crops that you wouldn't really think might get aster yellows, like the cereal crops. The symptoms in cereals is really subtle, though, and it could be attributed to a lot of other things. That'll be tricky to keep an eye on then, I imagine. Definitely. And the trouble now is if you see those symptoms in your crop, you can't really do anything about them because the damage was done six weeks ago. That's when the infection would have happened. I think you mentioned that grasshoppers, what, did they have to be sprayed for? In a few pockets, yeah. So grasshoppers like, like it hot and dry, but they also like to lay eggs in sandy soil. So we get those grasshopper pockets population pockets I guess in sandy areas and so yeah there was a few areas I think that that needed some treatments okay so grasshoppers like to move in from the edge of the field too so they'll come from those roadsides and move into the field so if you do need to control grasshoppers often you can just get them on the edges not have to spray the whole field that's handy something you want to watch for early on Mm -hmm. I'm guessing since it's been a rough year for insects in general have beneficial insects been able to provide much control or have they also been hurting? That is a good question. So our big beneficial, at least for aphids, are the uh, lady beetles. And they overwinter as adults. And so if we have a decent winter, we get a lot of lady beetles that make it. And so in my fields, I've been seeing the adults crawling around and looking for aphids. Yeah, and so the aphid populations really haven't gotten going. And so the... uh, (laughs) Kind of low levels of aphids suppressed by weather are further suppressed than by those those uh, beneficial insects. Last night I found evidence of parasitic wasps attacking the few aphids that I had in my cereal crops. So I had a wheat head with aphid mummies. And so at low levels, these parasitic wasps 
can get in there like a, they're like a magic bullet for finding the aphids. So I could tell that that one weed head had three aphids on it and they were all dead. <laughs> they were, when, when they get attacked by a parasitic wasp, after they get stung a few days later, they swell up and they die. And then the parasitic wasp is, fills the whole body cavity of the aphid. And that's what we call an aphid mummy. So there were three of those on the plant and no living aphids. So what that tells me is that we had three aphids and that wasp got all three of them. So 100% kill by the beneficial insect on that wheat head. That's pretty excellent. <laughs> yeah. So we have kind of a, a cheerleader squad for beneficial insects called Field Heroes. You can find that on Twitter and you can find it online. We've got some great videos and a lot of information on those uh, beneficial insects that you might find in your field, how to identify them and uh, just kind of what they're doing to those pest insects and how they can provide that biocontrol to keep populations down. Excellent. Are there any other resources you could recommend for farmers to identify the pest insects? Definitely. So we have a lot of great resources out there. Some of it's online. Some of it will come to your inbox. So I always recommend an Agri-Food Canada's field guide. It's called Field Crop and Forage Pests and Their Natural Enemies in Western Canada. This is the first edition, but we've got up to the third edition. So we're uh, making little changes, catching mistakes, uh, changing things up. And I think this was published in 2015. And so it's still really good. A lot of agronomists have this bouncing around in their truck, but it's also available in digital format. So you can download that from the Government of Canada website, or you can go to the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network's new webpage. And if you're an agronomist and you haven't signed up for the new webpage, you should do that. So it used to be a blog, and now it's a webpage, so it's got more functionality. But you sign up for the, the email list, and you'll get things like Insect of the Week and all of those maps that I'm talking about, they'll come right to you. And so you don't have to go looking for it. It'll come to you. Especially timely are the insects of the week. So we try to time those with what insects you might have in your crop at that point in time. So that field guide that I was mentioning has both the pest insects, but it also has a lot of the beneficial insects in it too. So it'll help you to identify whether you've got beneficial insects in your field. Excellent. Definitely sign up for Prairie Pest Monitoring Network's new website. Uh, you can also check out the Western Forum on Pest Management. There's a lot of good resources there if, if you're willing to sit down and read. And so that one's at westernforum.org. And so it's actually a two-part group. So it's made up of the Western Committee on Crop Pests. That's the one I'm in. So if you want to know about insects, that's where you want to look. They've also got the Western Committee on Plant Diseases, and so that's where the pathologists post a lot of their information. And so we meet once a year, and we, we talk about all the, all the local problems that happened across the provinces. So there's also your provincial guide to crop protection. So that will have things like what you can use to control the insects if you have a problem, and also how to scout for them. So... The provincial guides are really good for having all that information in one place. Excellent. Thank you. Now, for August, I know it's very weather dependent, but what would you recommend farmers keep an eye out insect-wise? 
Well, right now we're in that buildup period for aphids. And so if things are not being safe controlled by weather and biocontrols, this three week period is really crucial for uh, watching for aphids. So aphids in your pulses, cereal crops, not so much a problem in canola typically, but every once in a while you can see a few plants with a lot of aphids on them. It's kind of past time to look for wheat midge. So wheat midge is more of a early July type problem, like around the Canada Day long weekend. Do you want to start looking for those? We were seeing some wheathead armyworm building up and then some reports of, and this can be confusing, true armyworm. So both of those could be in cereal crops, but they're two different species. So I pulled some wheathead armyworm out of my field last night and those ones They've got two generations, and so I think we're at the first generation right now. But they're being attacked by a biocontrol, a parasitic wasp called Cotesia. And so often what we're finding are just these white kind of, they look like puffballs. If you didn't know anybody, you might think they look like eggs just because of the shape that they are. And they're actually the pupae of the Cotesia parasitic wasp. And those guys have burst out of the body of the caterpillars. And they'll be up on the awns or just sitting on the heads. And so it's really interesting to see that. So I've been getting reports from the field of those, and I'm seeing them in my own research plots too. So that's in somewhere where the beneficial insects are really helping with control of a, of a potential pest insect. There's not a whole lot of Timothy grass grown, but it's been attacked by a kind of a pretty little butterfly called the European skipper. And there's a, not a beneficial insect, but what we're finding is a virus that's wiping out those populations. So I went to two populations and I brought back some caterpillars and the next day they were pretty much all just melted. And so that's a baculovirus that will get into populations. And before when I talked about the grasshopper populations getting wiped out by wetter weather, this is kind of the same thing. So the wetter weather really gets the baculoviruses going as well. They're in the soil, and when the raindrops hit the soil, it kind of poofs the virus up into the canopy, and then those uh, insects pick it up, and it just liquefies. That's pretty amazing to see. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Let's see. So if we're talking about any new pests in Saskatchewan, we've got these pockets of Perichrechus convivus showing up. And they're the dirt-colored seed bug is, is sort of the name for the genus. And so the adults are dirt-colored, but the nymphs are red and black. And so they like to hang out by the millions, it seems, in some fields. And so we're trying to understand what's going on with those, why they become pests at certain times, and especially right now, why they're getting up onto plants and causing damage. In the province and up into uh, Manitoba and northern parts of Alberta as well, we have a new pest called the canola flower midge. And so we've got a couple of scientists, Dr. Boyd Morey and Dr. Megan Mankowski, who have a project working on those, trying to identify if the canola flower midge is going to be a big pest or not, whether it can cause economic damage. So... Those ones you'll see, you'll see your canola flower looks like a little bottle and where you should have had a pod coming, you just have this kind of shrunken flower because they've got canola flower midge inside of it and it wrecks the flower so that it doesn't develop. And then 
We just finished a three-year project on looking for ligase in canola. We really didn't find any. And so, of course, this year, the ligase populations are increasing now that we don't have funding to study them. And so ligase is kind of coming on strong in canola, but it's also a pest in fava bean where they damage the seeds and they leave a little black spot on them that can get your fava beans downgraded. So ligase is something we want to be on the lookout for right now too, in this third week in July. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.